Hi there, I'm Gino, and you're listening to the pilot episode of Table Talks with Gino Pardella, a podcast talking about education, culture, the paranormal, and everything else in between. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing the podcast's episode online. If you have any comments, suggestions, or things you just want to hear my personal take on in some future episode, please don't hesitate to write to me. You can contact me through my email at ginopardella at gmail.com. That's G-I-N-O-P-A-R-A-D-E-L-A at gmail.com. The episode today will talk about the end of the world. I hope you enjoy. A Song on the End of the World by Czeslaw Miloš. On the day the world ends, a bee circles a clover. A fisherman mends a glittering net. Happy porpoises jump in the sea. By the rain spout, young sparrows are playing. And the snake is gold-skinned as it should always be. On the day the world ends, women walk through the fields under their umbrellas. A drunkard grows sleepy at the edge of a lawn. Vegetable peddlers shout in the street and a yellow-sailed boat comes nearer the island. The voice of a violin lasts in the air and leads into a starry night. And those who expected lightning and thunder are disappointed. And those who expected signs and archangel's trumps do not believe it is happening now. As long as the sun and the moon are above, as long as the bumblebee visits a rose, As long as rosy infants are born, no one believes it is happening now. Only a white-haired old man would be a prophet, yet is not a prophet, for he's much too busy. Repeats while he binds his tomatoes, no other end of the world will there be. No other end of the world will there be. That's a beautiful poem by the Nobel Laureate for Literature, uh, Czeslaw Milos. Now, when I was seven, I recalled my aunt visiting the house. Oh no, not technically visiting the house. My aunt uh, basically lived with us. You know, uh, I live in the Philippines and the Philippines have uh, a wonderful desire to be with family members. So my aunt, uh, who was living with us during that time, told us that there was a documentary airing and the documentary was about the end of the world now I grew up in a fairly nominal Catholic household and sometimes our religiosity may not really surface but when I was young I had this strange fashion fascination so to say with religion I thoroughly enjoy religion I thoroughly enjoyed it as I still do now and during that evening, my aunt turned the TV on and we were watching two documentaries. The first documentary was from, uh, I don't know, it was a very old documentary. I, I think you can still see it online. But the documentary was about uh, Michel de Nostradam or Nostradamus, you know, the, the famous prophet, uh, prophet seer who, who I think during the 2000s <laughs> became 
quite famous because he allegedly predicts the end of the world and you know remember Y2K everybody was frantic everybody was afraid you know the year 2000 was entering and apparently according to some of them Nostradamus uh, predicted that the end of the world will happen in 2000 and uh, unfortunately it did not but but then again um, when I was watching Nostradamus it fascinated me because one of the anecdotes of that documentary was that Nostradamus predicted that his grave would be robbed when he died. So it was said that Nostradamus, when he died, uh, told people, told his family to put a placard, so to say, on, on his chest. And the, the, the placard read the year when his body would be exhumed by grave robbers. And surprise, surprise great robbers did come and try to steal the valuable things that were still left in Nostradamus's body and they saw the date and they, they became quite scared because you know it was the date during the time that they were stealing stuff from Nostradamus surely this man could not be a normal human being surely this man was a prophet and it fascinated me so much because you know a human being who would possess an ability to know the future that's kind of cool and at the same time terrifying because you know human beings as Christians we are told that it's not our business to know when the end of the world should or ought to be but nonetheless I remember as a child it fascinated me so much and it made me anxious so to say because you know uh, when you listen to adults talking about the state of the world when you're seven or eight, you begin to notice that the world was not a, is actually far from perfect. There's uh, the ever-looming threat of war. There's the ever-looming threat of a pandemic, as we are living through right now. And not to mention, there's always this threat that just around the corner, civilization and human life would be extinct. here's the deal every generation seems to believe that their age would be the age that the world would end uh, let, let's go back to history in the in the early days the early Christians literally believed that after Jesus died the end of the world was to happen it did not apparently and so Christians said oh maybe this is the 1,000 year reign of Jesus and so they waited until the year 1000 and everybody was so afraid that the year 1000 would come and the year 1000 did come and go and yet the end of the world did not happen so basically every generation believes that as they progress they are leaving behind so to say this concept of a pristine age this age of perfection and they're leaving it behind in favor of something modernity as we call it so I want to talk about the end of the world because we are in a pandemic and during a crisis and every time there is a pandemic or every time there is a crisis people look towards the concept of the end to justify what is going on right now the motif of a descending progress is actually seen throughout various mythologies uh, the ancient Greeks for example had this belief that there was what we call the descent of the ages, a descent of the races. You know, it started off that human beings were created to be perfect, 
and then as generations and as you know uh, as eras moved and go you know as eras moved they, they passed human beings started to devolve and they started to become less and less and less perfect so the ancient Greeks had this belief of the descent of ages from a golden age to silver age to bronze age until the current age right now which we are living this degenerate they say this degenerate age known as the Iron Age and the Greeks are not the only ones who actually believe this um, uh, Indian mythology is rich with this um, Indian mythology I think also has this this concept known as the four yugas or the four ages the four epochs it starts with the Satya Yuga the Golden Age and then it devolves into the Tetra Yuga the Dvapara Yuga until you have the base Kali Yuga so each Yuga passes through these descending cycles and as they descend from Satya Golden to Tetra Dvapara until Kali they become one-fourth less in duration and the Dharma the virtue starts to actually go down so Satya Yuga the Golden Age was the age where the virtue was perfect and Kali Yuga is where the, the virtues are, are, are the least now these descending yugas are this just this concept of gradual decline of wisdom Dharma knowledge intellectual capability even lifespan and emotions are not only found within the two civilizations that I said this is a universal concept the Nordic people for example have a concept that the end of the world is just around the corner in the end of the world the gods will fight and the gods will die for the with the exception of two beings who would be left a, a god and a goddess who would start the cycle again uh, Christianity also have that belief right um, when Jesus came that was the golden age you know God himself came down from earth to preach the good news and to liberate us to get, to bring us back to the kingdom of heaven and as generations pass away from the golden age where Christ was virtue wisdom knowledge intellectual cap capability starts to decline and then Jesus Christ will come back again to judge the living and the dead Christians believe that so too with Islam so every generation believes that they're living in the end times because of the changing nature of the social values as generation pass by when you look at it um, societies have concepts known as ideals which they try to prescribe to people within that society and when you actually look at ideals ideals are these static entities right justice truth love and etc however civilizations change people meet civilizations meet civilizations rise and civilizations fall values therefore change the ideals remain the same and yet the values surrounding how we practice the ideals change and so with each passing generation different people change along with the change so to say so what happens is that they are forced to more or less readapt the concept of justice readapt the concept of love readapt the concept of what you call it 
to be pertinent within their given age. And so those people from the previous generation will look at the new generation and their new set of practices they're trying to tackling with the, with the realities, they find it different. And they find that it's degenerating, so to say. The practices of the past and the practices of the present somehow do not, you know, coincide. And for the people who believe that ideals are ideals and that our value should be static, it becomes a bit of a challenge. So why is the belief of the end of the world always around? So it is my hope that with me rambling on with my table talk, I could give you two reasons why I think people always believe that the end of the world is just around the corner. The first reason is the, the speculative sociological reason. And the second reason, and I think the most important reason of all, is a spiritual poetic one. That's kind of cool. So I'll start with reason one. The first reason why I think that civilizations always believe that they're living through the end of the world is that the end of the world and the concept that the world is ending in a given generation serves as a cautionary mechanism of a given society. So they're basically social warnings telling us not to leave the ideals and values that we have inherited from our ancestors behind. Apocalypses keep people, so to say, grounded in social ideals. Social ideals provide the social cohesion that keeps a culture together. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Now, G.K. Chesterton, I'll, I'll call him G.K. Chesterton. Now, now, Chesterton suggests that if you want to know more about a person, you know not about the person by the way they dress or the way they flaunt, Chesterton says that the best way to learn about a person is to actually sit down with a person and try to figure out what the person thinks about things. You want to understand a person's philosophy. You want to understand a person's ideals. You want to understand a person's beliefs in a particular thing. Because these things, according to Chesterton, these beliefs, these aspirations, these ideals are the catalyst for action. So, if you just react based on the action of a person, Chesterton says, then you're not really solving anything. You're merely reacting to a particular problem. If you want to understand where this action comes from, then you try to sit down with the person and actually try and understand what they think about the world. And I think that's the main reason why ideals are placed in the first place. Society has different ideals. They have different degrees, so to say, on how ideals should be done or how ideals should be executed. For example, we have the concept of justice. So justice is a concept that is a universal. All cultures basically around the world have a concept of justice. Now, how that justice would be translated into action is another story. How justice is believed or perceived is another story. And so, our society tries to generate a way to actually try and execute the ideal of justice in the real-world setting. And that requires ideals. And as I said, when, when, when civilizations change, or when civilizations progress, I'm, I'm not even going to say progress, when civilizations adapt to their current time frame, 
they somehow redefine the way justice should be executed or how love ought to be done or how courtship ought to be practiced or how family should be defined so people believe that the end of the world is coming to alarm us to give us caution that something is fundamentally wrong that we are straying away from the the things that we have received from the past so that's the first reason why i think apocalypses are always believed in every generation to happen in that particular generation uh, reason two and i think the most important reason is that the word apocalypse, let, let's, let's try to understand what an apocalypse is. I, I think we kept on talking about apocalypses and yet we were not able to define an apocalypse. So the word apocalypse comes from the ancient Greek word apocalypsis. It, it comes from apo and kalypsos, which actually means an uncovering. So basically, an apocalypse is a revelation. So every, generations believe, every generation believes that they are living through an apocalypse because every generation are faced with forces of perpetual change and how people should or ought to you know uh, let me rephrase what I just said um, it tells us what people ought to do how people ought to act when given a scenario that they have to interact with existence like the tides ebb and rise creation is made creation is sustained and ultimately creation decays and our society if they don't have the con the concept of decay in our society i think is an important important concept because if we believe that society is decaying then we will do our best to try and remedy that decaying from happening right so I think when people believe that the apocalypse is happening within their lifetime, it forces people to interact, to reform society, to prolong the arrival of the eschaton, so to, so to say. So again, when you read the word apocalypse, the word apocalypse actually doesn't mean that boom, nuclear war, blah, 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 blah. The word apocalypse actually means that there is an uncovering, a revelation along the way. So these events jolt us into action. The belief that the apocalypse is coming make us more sensitive to what is going on around us. And because they are going on around us, it also forces us to reform what is going on within us. The concept of an apocalypse is what we call a myth. A myth is something that is timeless. It is a timeless story that tells us something about the present. It is timely because it is timeless. A myth is not something that is false. A myth is a metaphor for something that is going on within society that can be reformed within ourselves. So when I say that the, the, the concept of apocalypse is a myth, I'm saying that myths or the myth of the apocalypse enables us to interact with the realities that are facing us in the current time. So the, the apocalypse is an activation of an archetype, a deeper sense of self. You know, um, a few years back, I did tarot readings. I, I, I have history with, with the occult and I have history with the esoteric arts. But here's the deal. If you look at the tarot, if you look at the cards in the tarot, there is uh, in, in number 20, Judgment, in the Major Arcana, you see that before the world can be achieved, before something better could happen, this old world must be 
put to rest. So I think when you look at it from a spiritual perspective, the story of uh, the story of the apocalypse is actually a reminder to look at what is going on in our individual lives and to constantly interact with it so that in the tension of interacting with it, we can more or less activate that desire within ourselves for renewal. Without the concept of an apocalypse, renewal could not possibly happen. The beatific vision of God after the dark night of the soul can only happen when there is a dark night. Because you can only appreciate the, 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 the awesomeness of the darkness or the awesomeness of the light if night happens before day. If you notice Dante Alighieri's uh, La Divina Commedia, the Divine Comedy, you, you notice that it starts off with the inferno, with an ending, and then you slowly actually see a renewal within Dante, an understanding within Dante of the, the beatific vision of God. Judgment precedes the world. So, why do I think that the people and generations, uh, why do I think again that generations believe that the world is ending within their own time? Well, first and foremost, because we have left our ideals and we want to keep our ideals for as long as we could. That is number one, the reason why we try our best to talk about the apocalypse because it keeps us clinging to the things that we consider to be good in society. Number two, it's also an activation of an archetype of change. We know that after the apocalypse, the kingdom of heaven will be instated and there will be a perfect world. So what I'm trying to say here is that in, in the apocalypse, new things and new life could happen. And if new life were to happen, it requires that there be sacrifices. There should be things in our present lives that would, be, that, that would have to change. And I think that is quite a lofty ideal. So I'm rambling on and on. This is Gina Pardella, and you're listening to Table Talks with Gina Pardella. I'll see you on the next episode.